And we're going to um, talk about peace today. A few weeks ago, we, we stood up, many of us, and said um, we struggled a little bit with uh, reading the Bible. And I just want to encourage you, you know, I'm going to use some scriptures today. Um, one of the ways to learn how to read the Bible or the, for the Bible to come alive is to take something like what we're going to talk about today and I'll give you some scriptures around peace and, and then read them over the week. Jot them down and, and read them. And, one, you know, that's one of the ways you can take something and it can start um, coming, going deeper into you. Uh, it's, about, it's like chewing on something. And so all of these are opportunities to, to take God's word and begin to ask that word to, to make it alive in us in a way that makes a difference. Because what we're really talking about here is if Jesus is so great and Christianity is so wonderful, then why is it so hard to live? That's really the bottom line. It's a great theory. And, uh, so, and, and we, we're trying to be more than just survivors. Paul didn't write, we are more than survivors. He said, we're more than conquerors. We want to be more than just making it through. We want to be those who actually um, manifest a, a, a difference, a different way of living that will actually touch people's lives and cause them to, uh, to be attracted to Jesus. So we've been looking at um, this passage from Ephesians where Paul talks about putting on the armor of God. It's quite well known in Christian circles as a kind of fashion statement, put on the armor of God. I started with this a few weeks ago and, and, and spoke about, imagine Paul, and Paul says in Ephesians, he says, your, your fight is not against flesh and blood. And in the world, if you take God out of that world, then all you're left with is flesh and blood. And so when something goes wrong or when something uh, is not going as I want it to go, I look at the flesh and blood element or the consequence element and I try and change that or I try and face that if it's a person or a circumstance. And, and there's obviously that's part of life. Christianity is supernatural. And, you know, the sad thing is that many who profess to be Christian have actually are terrified of the supernatural. So the very thing that actually causes freedom is the thing that's re rejected because it embraces our emotions and our minds and the whole of who we are. And so I want to encourage us and in, this, in these thinking about putting on the armor of God to not be afraid, not be afraid of the supernatural, not be afraid of the things you can't see because they do rise up in you. You and I actually attract the supernatural. The way that we live our lives is usually we attract the, the negative. We're actually used to living with the negative. So we call that, whether it's depression or it's discouragement or it's negativity or it's cynicism, uh, those, are, those have spiritual roots in them. And we can live in a place of discouragement or live in a place of being overwhelmed. And we just settle for that and say, well, that's just how I am. And if we live in a world of just flesh and blood, then we say, well, then let's medicate the flesh so that we won't feel that so much. I'm going to suggest to you as we talk about peace that that is the peace that is totally understandable. There are two ways of finding peace. One is through God, the other is through drugs and alcohol. And uh, in, in the world in which we live, people take drugs and alcohol because they want peace. And without God, that's the only place you can get it. And I'm not trying to make blanket statements because there's all kinds of gray areas in between and there is a place for medication. But you know what? I'm exaggerating to make the point and you know what I'm saying, that the many, many people are, are looking for peace and they're settling for peace in, in solutions that suppress them, don't, that doesn't really free them. Make sense? So Paul's a veteran. He's been around now as a Christian for maybe 15, 30 years. And in the Ephesian passage, um, maybe we'll just turn to it quickly because it's the basis of what I'm saying and then I'm going to go through other passages. I mean, he, he, he basically talks about this. 
He, he's a prisoner, so he's been a prisoner for a long time. And so he spent a lot of time with Romans. Finally be strong in the Lord. This is Ephesians 6, verse 10, for those who are going to read it in the week. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, take your stand against the devil's schemes. The mindset behind this is going to church on Sundays does not defeat the enemy. Going to church on Sundays is part of becoming equipped or, or, or allowing God to speak to us so that we can actually live through the week. It's not kind of a survival course. It's just, when, it's just good to get together with fellow believers and to learn to get together. But it's not going to, this is not going to sustain you. It would be like coming here and, and having a meal and then saying, I'll only come and eat next Sunday. You've got to eat through the week. And that's why learning how to eat us out of the Bible ourselves will continue to nourish us. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to that, take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We've talked about this before. Everything you want, everything that actually will bring you life is rooted in the Spirit. Just say this again and again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, security are all intangibles that you cannot access. Or you, they're, they're two, two lanes, as Lefty might say to us. Two lanes. The one lane is try to get that in your own strength with material stuff. And the other lane is what God says, I'll give it to you free. There are two ways of living, trying to live towards having more peace, more victory, more power, more whatever, or living from a place where all the victory is given to you, all the peace is given to you. It is totally counterintuitive. And that's why most of us get Christian and we stay in this lane. How can I earn it? How can I keep it? How can I... And we keep on depending on ourselves and it gets very discouraging. And so we can get very disillusioned and then give up. But from God... He says, I've already given you the victory. My son went to the cross and won, won that victory for you on the cross. In other words, I've taken your sin upon myself. This is a mystery, but you can feel it. You can feel it in things like, what do you do when you do wrong and you've got unforgiveness and anger in your heart? How does that impact you? It's a spiritual issue. Guilt is a spiritual issue. Your conscience is a spiritual. The conscience is the way God speaks. The further away you are from God, the duller your conscience. The closer you are to God, your conscience begins to work. Your conscience... In Jesus does not condemn you, it convicts you. Your conscience from away from Jesus causes you shame and condemnation. Everything that is a spiritual gift from God, you and I are already using. We just use it, it gets hijacked. It's like your cell phone, somebody picks it up and uses it for evil. Everything in you is given to you by God so that you would know him better. But when it's hijacked, it keeps you away from him. So we have to reclaim these things. We have to rediscover them. Paul says we're not fighting against humans really. And he's sitting chained to a Roman soldier. And you, we'll read some other passages where, where his circumstances are awful. And yet he says, I've learned to be content. I'm free. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And he, he demonstrates a freedom within that is totally um, dismissive almost of his surroundings. And how would you like that? A place where you live in confidence and peace. So we, we have this, this, Paul's got lots of time to stay, sit chained with Roman soldiers. He actually was instrumental in converting half the uh, palace guard because he was this obnoxious little Jewish man who was very smart, but also probably said, it must suck to be you, to be chained to me. You're my prisoner. 
and you reframe it and turns the tables. Let me tell you about Jesus and you can't go anywhere because you have to stay with me otherwise you'll be killed. So I must suck to be you, but I'm quite enjoying this. Who's my next victim? And he just changes the circumstance by his mindset. He says, you can chain me or you can actually chop my head off. I'm free. I'm not going to call Caesar Lord and I'm not going to submit to you. I am a Roman citizen, so I'm going to demand that you treat me like that, but I am actually a citizen of the kingdom. You see, there's freedom when you've come to terms with death. There's freedom when you've come to terms with circumstances. Do not demonstrate the love of God. Circumstances are all over the place and all kinds of things happen to wonderful people. From God's perspective, everybody's wonderful. They're all many misguided. So you stop reading your circumstances and relationships as a sign of God's love for you or of your goodness. I deserve this because I've done so well. That's the biggest lie under the... You know, your circumstances, if they're really good, are not because you've earned them necessarily. It's because you're blessed, because you've... All kinds of things. You've participated, but it's not proportional. Do we understand that? If you're doing well right now, that's wonderful. Bless you. It's not because you deserve it. Because if we unraveled your life, you might find, well, you're not doing badly, but with what you've been given, you should have done a whole lot more. And if you're doing really badly... It's not because everything in your life, you don't deserve anything good. It's not because you have caused all of these things either. There's been a lot of unfortunate things around your life as well. Don't equate what is going on around you entirely about you and how worthy or unworthy you are. You live in a broken world and an unfair world and a world that does not give rewards fairly or or justly and does also not give brokenness fairly or justly. And God comes into the midst of that and says, I love you all equally. And whether you're rich or poor, you need to come to me to find life. And so Paul sits there with his Roman soldier and um, he starts off, and and I spent two weeks talking this. The first thing we talked about was put on the belt of truth. And the belt of truth we talked about was Jesus is truth. And we live in a world of of relativity. We, we, We live in a world where it says that you do whatever you want to do. And I've said before, I would stand up and say, I would totally, uh, if I was uh, president of, of Canada, Prime Minister of Canada, I would uh, be fine as a Christian, totally sold out to Jesus to say, absolutely, you can have a gay parade, a pride parade. You can have a barbecue in the park. Why? Because you should be able to have the freedom to do whatever you want, as long as you're not hurting somebody. Do I agree with it? No. If you're going to have a barbecue in the park, I want to have a freedom to say, I think you're misguided. We can both be free, but I'm going to be free to disagree with you. But I would vote I would fight for the right for people to have the freedom to discover whatever they need to discover. Because in that freedom, and that's what, that's what God has given us. The rain falls on the evil and the, the wicked and the, and the righteous. He, he's allowed this freedom in the world right now. doesn't mean everything's good. And so Paul says, put on the belt of truth. And what is the belt of truth? The belt of truth is really a relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is not just... Uh, Go to college and learn how to read the Bible and then tell everybody else what God says. That's why I'm not going to speak over the gay parade. You should not do this because it's not Christian. Well, they're not Christian, so why would they do it? You can't impose Christianity on people who haven't met Jesus. So you you begin to say, well, if Jesus is so cool, why don't I manifest him in a way that causes others to be thirsty? So the belt of truth is about saying if Jesus is Lord and he is so good, then he is very kind, he's very good, he's very powerful, he's very supernatural, he's very forgiving. He, he, he mixes with the range of people from the prostitute to the president. And they might be the same sometimes, I don't know. But <laughs> I just thought I'd wake you up with that. 
Um, he, he mixes everywhere. He doesn't judge. He comes to reveal the love of the Father who is totally unexpected because most people don't see the love of the Father. They see a vindictive God or an angry God or a God who judges or a God who hates and fill in the blank of whatever your pet thing is. Highly relational. The belt of truth. I'm not going to give the whole sermon again. It's just a relationship with Jesus. And, and then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we talked about that as identity. The breastplate of righteousness is guard your heart, guard your vital organs with your identity that Jesus gives you. You are a much-loved son and daughter of the King of Kings. We live in a victimized world. We live in a world of self-blame and others' blame. We live in a world where uh, there's a crisis of confidence in self-esteem. There's a crisis of confidence in being authentic. There's a crisis of confidence in accepting who I am. I'm a work in progress. Instead of image, it's okay to be a work in progress. The good, the bad, and the ugly is in all of us. And so the breastplate of righteousness, he's, you see, what Paul is beginning to say is if you want to see victory in the Christian life, if you want to see victory in your own life, start paying attention to the things that are slightly different or behind the things you're battling with. And because he's learned how to do this, because Paul was a very, very opinionated intellectual who when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road scratched his head for three, weeks, three days and said, what was that? Logically, I didn't get here. Spiritually, God revealed himself to me and he blew away all my paradigms. He blew away my worldview. He blew away my self-confidence. He blew away all the degrees I had. And I ended up in the dust on a road and said, have I ever gone down the wrong trail? And God has every right because of how I've behaved. And I've killed some of the Christians. He has every right to kill me. God says, Paul, I know your heart. I know that you're sincerely wrong. And I've come to reveal myself to you because I'm actually a God who can take you right now and use you to write out and interpret me to the world in the, in, in the Bible, which he didn't even know was going to happen, so that the rest of humanity can have access to what I am like. And who is better to write down who I am than an intellectual who's had his heart touched and broken and redeemed. That's why Paul says, I count everything as a loss. Because everything he counted as gain was broken. And I ask you that question too. Whatever you're trusting in, if it's not Jesus, will be broken. You can surrender it or it can be broken. It's just a matter of time. It will happen. Everything you trust in that is not rooted in Jesus will break. If you ask anybody, you know, people, we live on this hope of when I leave home, when I get married, when I get divorced, when I get a better career, when I get a change, when this happens, when, whenever, that's when I will be and you fill in the blank. It never comes. And if it does come, it's for a moment. And so Paul's saying, go for something beyond the visible, the tangible. Go for something that money cannot buy, that education cannot buy, because it's not going to be found there. Because when you find Jesus, you can go for education, you can go for everything else, but it comes from a different place. So he says, put on the belt of, tr the, the belt of truth, the have a relationship with Jesus, and out of that relationship with Jesus, the first thing you will learn is that God loves you, he delights in you, he's good news, he's not a wimp, and he's not a kickover, and he's not like half the things you, you're using to reject him. Have the humility to recheck some of the paradigms you have. Half, half of them, are, most of them are probably skewed. They're probably coming out of God made in your image. If God was like this, this is what he would do, and I wouldn't want to be like that. So... Join Paul. Let your brain be smashed and then renewed as your heart is touched. So let's, let's meet a Roman soldier. And we're just going to look at a segment of this. This is Placidus, a Roman legionary soldier. 
Placidus has signed up for 25 years of military service, at the end of which he will have seen much of what we call Europe today. The region he has been sent to, which we now call the Netherlands, looks completely different from the place where he was born and raised. The basic dress of this legionary is the same as that of almost every Roman, a tunic and sandals. A tunic is a long woolen shirt, girded around the middle with a leather belt or strap. For underwear, he may use a loincloth and a linen tunic. His military sandals, called caligae, have been cut from a single piece of leather. The thick sole has hobnails. This prevents the sandals from wearing down, and it gives him a firm grip on slippery soil. In addition, he wears a scarf to protect his neck and shoulders from the sharp edges of his armor. During the cold winter months, Placidus may wear several long-sleeved tunics, trousers, and woolen socks. A warm woolen cloak will protect him against the wind and rain. Being a legionary soldier, Placidus is of course well armed, but his body is also very well protected by a helmet, armor, and a shield. His body armor, or lorica, is made of iron plates riveted to heavy leather straps on the inside of the harness, so they won't break easily during a fight. A lorica consists of four parts. The two shoulder pieces and two body pieces can be taken apart for easy maintenance and transportation. When the armor is assembled, Placidus can put it on like a jacket. The lorica is fastened with leather straps that run through the hooks at the front and back. It weighs almost 10 kilos, but because the different parts move along with the body movement and the weight is spread evenly over the upper body, he can wear it in relative comfort all day long. This type of segmented armor offers very good protection against both slashing and stabbing weapons. The military belt, which is called a kingulum, ensures the weapons remain firmly in place. The belt is made of leather and has metal plates both for decoration and reinforcement. We'll look at that again in a few weeks. But uh, the armor, Paul doesn't look at the Roman soldier and he's very familiar with this armor. And he's, he's really saying if you're going to be a soldier, if you're going to actually make a difference, you need to know your weapons, you need to know your identity. You can't imagine a soldier going around saying, I hope I'm chosen by the, I, I hope I'm part of this. It doesn't go, does it? You believe the person wearing the armor has some confidence in who they are. I'm a Roman soldier. We've talked about that with RCMP officers. You see them in their civvy clothes and they're just like other people. When they put on their, their, their uniform, they have an authority. And, and Paul is saying when you, put on the, when you put on the belt of truth and you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you have an authority. You have an identity. You are a child of the living God. And I want to encourage you to know that. I want to encourage you to, to understand that. If you've, if you've said yes to Jesus, everything has changed. You're no longer lost. You're no longer without identity. You now belong to God the Father. You are his redeemed son and daughter. So start living from that place. See, we keep on trying to live from, well, I made that comment, but now I, I've got to earn it again. I mean, when you have a baby, do you, does the baby have to earn your affection? Does it have to earn? The birth is messy like the cross was because you're born through the cross. It's messy and there's pain there. But once you're born, then you're cherished and you're nurtured. And God the Father wants to say to his children, which is you and me, I want to cherish you and nurture you, not baby you. There will be a season of that, but it doesn't go on forever. And then I want to grow you up and equip you to live in this world, confident of who you are and who you were meant to be. 
And so then you see those, those, those um, he says, put on, the, put on the, the, the footwear for peace. And if we were speaking in contemporary language, and I'd I, I chosen a video out of the, the armies, they would be solid boots, military boots, military-style boots. Why? Because those boots are made for walking, and those boots are made for enduring, and those boots are made because everybody knows that an army runs not only on stomach but on its feet. If you go hiking, you always hear that, take care of your feet. And Paul didn't turn around and say, well, I'll go from top to bottom because I'll do this logically, uh, the helmet, and then we go to this. He doesn't go from the feet up or the head down. He looks and he, he starts saying, I wonder if he'd even heard of, of you know, from the New Testament. He, he, he might have, where Jesus said, if your peace does not rest on that village, then shake your sandals off, saying the dust off your sandals. I wonder if that's a good analogy for peace. See, what we do is we, 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 we chase after these things. I'm looking for love. I'm looking for peace. And you go, how are you going to get it? You can try getting it through controlling your circumstances, which means I'm just a people pleaser. I'm a peacemaker, which means I avoid conflict, which means I'm half dead, which means I don't actually engage in half the things around me because I'm scared of what might happen. It's a sad way to live because our identity is lost. Our confidence is lost. So we tiptoe around or we hide. Or we look for peace, as I said earlier, by I, I can't stand this anxiety anymore. I need medication. I better go to the doctor. And he gives you some more and more and more medication. So I've been on anxiety medication for years, you say. Not judging anybody here. Please don't go down that road. I'm merely saying, but what if? What if some medication is a, is a, is a manhole cover over things that only God can heal and only God can give? So we now live in the most medicated culture of, of history. Because all you can do if you can't release the spirit internally is you have to tame the body medically. And I'm not saying which... I just think there's gross over-medication, and I think you probably would agree. And I'm not saying the journey is easy either. When I went through depression, I took antidepressants for three or four months, and it was very helpful at the time. So don't hear me wrong. But Paul says, put on the... Put on the what does he call them? I've lost my... He put, anyway, put on the f- shoes. He doesn't say this. I'll tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say put on the flip-flops of peace. Put on the slippers of peace. And the slippers of peace means you rest in Jesus and hide from the world. He doesn't say avoid everything peace. He's using a military term because he says you need to learn how to stand on that peace. You see, the peace is a byproduct of truth and righteousness. If you want peace, I heard this the other day and it just spoke right into this. He said you can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Many people want to pick God's pocket for the things they like without sorting out the relationship with him. You can't have the peace of God unless you have peace with God. You make peace with God through his son Jesus. And through his son Jesus, he releases the kingdom to you, which is the supernatural, which is here comes peace without understand, beyond understanding. Here comes love that you don't deserve. Here comes forgiveness that you never dreamt was possible. Here comes hope. Watch out, there's a deluge coming away. There's a lot of good things. The biggest issue in Christian churches and in Christianity is helping people believe and receive the things that are already given. So let me give you some phrases and then we'll wind this up. He says, stand firm with peace. It's, it's, it's conviction, it's strength. Why do you need it? Because you need, you're going to be on all kinds of ground that's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be on all kinds of ground that's not, you would not be in peace if you didn't have shoes on, if you didn't have boots on. You'd either be frozen, you'd be too hot, too cold, too spiky, too pebbly, too something. And God says you need boots, you need to put on the armor and you need to put on so that you can stand firm. And he also says stand firm with readiness. I was, whenever I read this, I, I, was, I, was a, I was a beautiful treble soloist, choir boy, 
when I was nine, ten years old, believe it or not. And, and I won competitions for singing. And um, one memory actually I have of my mother is that we, 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 somebody said, would John come and sing at a church? And we went for a rehearsal. I was terrified. So we went to this church. I think it was a Presbyterian church. And I had to sing the song from uh, the Messiah. How, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. I can't sing it as a treble and I can't even sing it anymore. I looked it up on YouTube actually. Um, they, but they're all women sopranos singing it. But it, I couldn't understand what the song was about. I was 10 years old. Why would you talk about people's feet? And in the end I chickened out and said, I don't want to go. And so I didn't do it. But I never forget that you know, fear of having to sing that thing. But I didn't understand what it was. And in Isaiah 52 verse 7, if you want to look it up, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. Peace is probably one of the highest, most highly desired commodities in this world. Peace I leave with you. And when God came into the world, you know, when he announced the coming of Jesus, what did he say? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So why don't we have peace? Why don't we demonstrate peace? A confidence that comes from God is faithful. That's what we're on the journey to learn about. How to be remarkably peaceful in the most remarkably unpeaceful circumstances or in the most unresolved things. And usually when I'm speaking, and like this week, you know, my, my battle has been how to, how to find peace because I've had a frustrating week. And I go, oh, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm talking about it because I need to. But you also, you sometimes have to contend for it. And it's not because I'm doubting my identity and it's not because I'm doubting the truth. It's just the circumstances have risen up in me something that's not peace. So I have to contend for it and remind myself of who I am and that God is faithful and uh, it's just a lifelong journey, isn't it? But I don't have to start at square one. I already know who I am and I already know who Jesus is. So I, I start with those weapons and that harm already in place. Philippians 4 verse 7. I said I'd give you some f words. I just want to give you the two. Philippians 4 verse 7. Paul says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything. Everything but, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That is about relation with Jesus as truth. Share your heart with him. Don't whine forever. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What will God do? He will begin to say, calm down. I have you. I have you. I love you. I'm with you. I'm not talking about sentimentality. I'm talking about something far more courageous than that. You pour your heart out and then you actually receive. And he says, peace I give to you. And once you've poured your heart out, then you start receiving and say, thank you for your peace. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that I'm your much-loved son. Thank you that you hold my life in your hand. Thank you that you know my future. Thank you that you know my past. Thank you that I have an identity as, as your favorite son. Thank you that I can live from that place. I'm not earning anything. And you start, that's why you need to read these scriptures until you know them or you know the essence of them. And you start speaking to yourself like that and you, find, and you start standing in that and your peace comes. And you go, it doesn't even make sense. I'm feeling peace. He said, yes, it does, because you've given the circumstance over to God. You're trusting him, and now you're experiencing the supernatural peace that passes understanding. Because I don't know if you've learned this yet, but worry doesn't change a whole lot. You know, do you know that? I mean, how much? some of us go around saying, well, you don't obviously understand the situation because you don't look worried. Like worry is a hallmark of caring. It's not. It's just stupid. But we all do it. But what happens if you don't have to wait for it? I love Graham Cook's teaching which he says, why would you put off until tomorrow what you can have today? Well, when this is over, then I'll be able to relax. Well, why don't you relax today? When this is over, then we can have joy. Why don't you have joy today? And believe me, I'm talking to myself. But it comes sooner than it used to. Why don't you have peace today if it's, your, if it's a gift given? 
Because God is saying you can have it. If you want to read something else, you can read Psalm 27, 1 to 3. I'm just, I really am encouraging you to read these things and chew on them and receive them. In Romans 8, as we read, it's, you are more than conquerors. Okay, we'll end here. Here's a, a, a quote. Practice ev- your peace every day. Soldiers practice with their weapons until they become instinctive, until they are intuitive and instinctive power takes hold. Practice with your weapons. I believe peace is a weapon. Rest is a weapon. Practice it until it's instinctive and intuitive, until you walk in it, until you know how to take a step back into the presence of God, until you know how to take a step back into the presence of God, into the peace of God, and into the rest of God. The enemy is the prince of the power of the air. He lives in the atmosphere. We often find ourselves in the midst of an environment of negativity and defeat. The truth, however, is that we have a choice to partner with that negativity or with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we are more than conquerors and have the ability to bring the atmosphere of heaven to our circumstances. We can replace anxiety with peace and defeat with victory. But you can't do it without Jesus. You can't do it with quoting the scriptures. You can't do it any other way. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's walking with one who is peace. So in fact, all these things are byproducts of company with Jesus. But the, the, the bottom line is placing, living in a place of peace is saying, I'm ready for something. It's actually a, a stance of let's go for it. Because you can be very effective out of peace. You can be very powerful out of peace. You can take ground out of peace. So let's stand and, and ask God to embed that in our hearts. I want to pray for three things. For some, for some here, it's just for peace, the peace of God. Because God is, is, is speaking peace and, and, and releasing peace into you and over you right now. So, Father, I just welcome you here. And I just pray against all distraction right now. Say something about this armor. This armor covers you from head to foot. That's because the attacks come from head to foot. And many of us, we just live in our heads. And you're taken out all the time because just wearing a helmet doesn't protect you. You've got to have the full armor. Some of us have our favorite fashion design pieces of Christian armor, but they're not effective because they're not complete. Today we're standing on peace. So what is stealing your peace right now? What is it that rises up in you that causes you to say, I I wish these words were true, but if he knew what I was doing or thinking or enduring, this sounds like a teasing word. I, I just speak death to those lies, first of all. And say the best way you can find peace is not to try and earn it in your own strength. It is to give it to God. So one of the ways of accessing peace if your circumstances or relationships are are struggling is to give them to Jesus. Go to the cross. Ask him to forgive you where you've taken over. Ask him to forgive you where you basically don't trust him one inch. So you uh, take responsibility for everything yourself. And just say, I'm sorry. I've taken control of my life. I've taken control of my circumstances. I'm sorry that I'm blaming everyone and holding them responsible for my lack of peace. Forgive me, Jesus. Thank you that you've taken it on yourself. Give him anything that's getting in the way. And he's just reaching out. He's not angry with us. He's just saying, I can't give you something if your hands are full of something else. So, Father, we give you the things that we're aware of that cause us to hold on to anxiety and anger and discomfort and all the other negative things. Thank you. There's no condemnation, just an invitation. The Bible talks about us giving us his, we give him his rag, give us, we give him our rags and he gives us his riches. That's what grace is. Jesus took on the cross everything we deserve so that we can receive from the cross everything he deserves. It's called inheritance, blessing, goodness. So as you've given him everything, then just receive, receive his peace, which comes as love, as identity. You are my son, you are my daughter. Say those words in your heart. Put them on your lips. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm your daughter. I'm your son. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you delight in me. 
I mean, lots of children find peace in the arms of their fathers. For some of us, we've never been in the arms of our father. So Father, I pray for healing there. That we learn to trust you because we couldn't trust our parents. And Jesus just wants to heal that right now. There's some of you who are struggling with that. And he goes, I know, I know. I know you struggle to trust because you've been let down so much. But I'm not like that. I'm making all things new. And so good prayer sometimes is just saying, help me to learn how to trust. You don't have to feel it. Don't worry about that. One of the weapons Satan uses is to get you to focus on your feelings all the time. And if your feelings don't change as we're praying, then God's not working. That's a lie. We're giving his, our wills to him and saying, Lord, here I am. So Father, I pray that you breathe into people, trust to be loved by the Father, embraced by the Father. And as you get into the arms of the Father, what happens with children? They start calming down. You pat them on the back. You hug them. You whisper into their, into their ear, I love you. You're all right. You're safe with Daddy right now. It's exactly the same with God. He embraces you right now and he says, I love you. You're safe. Now what is that you were worried about? Don't worry. We'll take care of it together. It sounds childish. It's not. It's the power of God. So receive the peace of the Father. Because when you live in peace, you're going to have strength to do things that you didn't have before because you were consumed with the negative. So you're going to have free time, more time, because anxiety and despair takes up a lot of time and saps you of your energy. Because you're not just going to get peace, of course. You're going to get hope and joy and love and kindness. And so as we, as we just come into, we're going to break bread together. Just stay with us. Let God's Spirit continue to release His peace into you. He might not even mention peace to you. It might just be your relationship with Jesus. It might be your identity, your confidence. It might be other things. But spend most of this time as we break bread together thanking Him for what He's releasing in you. Thank Him for what He's doing. Thank you, Jesus, that peace is coming into my heart right now. Thank you that faith is rising. Thank you that I have hope. Thank you that I'm special.